This afternoon we turn to Second John. Yes, First John is in our rear view mirror, but hang on to thoughts because Second John seems to be an abbreviated First John. This is the second last shortest letter in the New Testament. Only third John is shorter. Second John. Now it's an interpretation to call it Second John as you'll see from the the letter itself. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all them, or all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves, or watch out, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine... Receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. This is an epistle that we believe the Apostle John wrote. He doesn't name himself like the previous epistle, but he is termed the elder here in Second John, verse 1. John probably wrote this as an old man, perhaps just before he wrote the book of Revelation, or it may have been written after he was a 
prisoner of the gospel on the island of Patmos. We're not exactly sure, but he is getting up in age. And it just seems that the style is very similar to 1 John as he speaks about walking after God's commandments and in, in love toward one another and warning about an antichrist. These are found in the previous epistle. I don't know if he's being cryptic with his designation as the elder. I say that because he's writing to what is known as, who is known as an elect lady and her children. I don't think that this is an apostle writing to a woman or, or even a, a widow with children. It just would not seem appropriate where he uh, speaks of loving this one woman. And plus it changes from a, a singular to a plural later in the letter. From thy children, verse 4, to we walking after His commandments in verse 6, and looking to yourselves, verse 8, and so on. And it's not unusual for a church to be in the feminine. Matter of fact, the Greek word church is ekklesia. The ea is feminine in nature. Isaiah 52, for instance, says, O captive daughter of Zion, or, O virgin daughter of Babylon. In Revelation, John speaks of the bride as the Lamb's wife. Christ loving the church as, as husbands, are to, or husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So, we believe that it's the Apostle John writing to a particular church called the elect lady and her children. And it may be because of the dangerous situation involved that he doesn't want to divulge a church wherever it was because perhaps there was great persecution going on in that area. But nonetheless, um, even if he's using uh, metaphors, it certainly is an encouragement for a church to be called elect, isn't it? A very simple outline, Second John. There's a greeting, there's encouragement, there's caution, and there's a conclusion. The word elder is from where we get our word Presbyterian. It's, this is presbyteros. It's used of people who are older. Or it's used of office bearers called elders or bishops or pastors. And it's not unusual for an apostle to, humble himself, to be humble and to call himself an elder, though he may be referring to his age here but most likely not because he talks to the woman in, in, a, in, the, in a spiritual light or to the church as an elect lady. Peter himself, when he was writing First Peter, called himself a fellow elder. And John here calls himself an elder. And so again, it shows the humility of the apostles that though they were unashamed of being called an apostle, yet they were humble enough to recognize they were equally believers with their brothers and sisters. What a comfort to call this an elect church. 
an elect church. The word lady is the feminine of Lord. Curios is Lord. Curia is lady. And her children would obviously be referring to a definite group of people in that particular church. And he's writing to them, encouraging them that he loves them in the truth. Again, love has boundaries. He's talking about legitimate Christian love in Christ for the people of God. Love is so twisted today when it's really lust. But we should be unashamed to say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister, in the Lord. If we're walking in the truth according to the Word of God in in holiness. But he also includes all who have known the truth. Notice he's focusing on the truth as well as on love in this particular epistle. Because so many spoke of love without having the same conviction as far as doctrine is concerned. So many are saying, let's just jettison all of our disagreements about doctrine and let's just have unity and love one another. But the Bible never divorces doctrine from love and from unity. You can't have true unity without unity of the truth. What is the truth? It is that which God has revealed in His Word. It is that which is objective in nature. It's that which is not necessarily able to be scientifically um, studied, but it is what God has revealed in His Word. And he's speaking for the truth's sake. He's concerned that the Word of God is, is vindicated in his teaching, in his practice, in his application of the Word of God. And he sees and reminds us that God's truth dwells in us and shall be with us forever. Truth that is in Christ is life-changing And it is enduring in nature. Then he gives them the typical greeting that you find also in Paul and Peter's epistles. A little bit different nuance. Paul seems to give his greetings as a prayer. Grace, mercy, and peace. Um, I'm sorry. Yes, Paul seems to give it as a prayer. Uh, Grace to you from God the Father and so on. John seems to give his greeting as an exhortation, not so much even as a prayer, because the conjunctions from are different in John's epistle and in Paul's. But either way, we should be praying for God's grace, mercy, and peace, and we should be exhorting each other that these are graces that we should expect as children of God. And it really gives us a little bit of a chronological order here. God's grace is unmerited favor, which allowed Him to be compassionate toward us and to reconcile us to Himself. 
So you have God's grace, His unmerited favor, His mercy, His compassion upon hell-deserving sinners. And peace speaks about the fact that through Christ He reconciled us unto Himself. So the hostility is removed, but now there is fellowship with God, as John speaks of in 1 John chapter 1. And notice, he believed in the equality of the Father and the Son, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You never read from God the Father and Paul, or so on. Jesus has a special relationship with the Father, the Son of the Father in truth and love. And He's dealing with the heretics from the previous. He's still dealing with the heretics in this letter. And this equality of the Father of Son is truthful and it, it vindicates true Christian love that comes from the Father and the Son. Now, you and I would agree that anything that really encourages an apostle or even a very experienced Christian should be something that we would want to, uh, to engage in, to experience. What does an apostle rejoice greatly in? What does a parent rejoice greatly in? What does a brother or a sister rejoice greatly in about their siblings? I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Does that rejoice your heart when you find out that someone is walking in the truth? When you see your loved one praying? When you see them making a decision that is, is, is a denial of themselves, is irrespective of whether they're going to be popular something that they, you know that they've decided because they've studied the Word of God and seek to please the Lord. And that's a, a metaphor for the Christian life, walking in truth. The walk is a metaphor for the whole Christian life, not just for a day or a week or a month. We're to walk in the Spirit. And you know, you've probably heard the Greek word peripatetic. Jesus was a peripatetic preacher. That is, he was a preacher who did a lot of walking. And we have some of those words in our English language. Well, we are to be peripatetic Christians. We are to be walking in the truth. That is, just consistently walking in the paths of righteousness. Another metaphor, paths, a walk. Psalm 1, remember, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or standeth in the way of sinners, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And so he greets them, and he encourages them, he exhorts them, that he's so happy to hear. Now this may mean that some in the church he may have met along the way. Because it says, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children, the elect lady and her children, some in the church. He found, he must have met some in the church somewhere and he observed that they were obedient to the truth. So, he perhaps listened to their conversation, took, had some time with them and, and noticed that by their conversation and their clothing, by their 
by their uh, interests in the truth and interests in other good things that they were walking in the truth. And I wonder, can we be caught unawares by a believer and they can rejoice that, that we're walking in the truth when people are watching us and when they're not. Because we know that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. You know, we are what we are in our rooms alone. We are what we are at the computer when no one else is in the house. That's what we really are. What we are when we have our cell phones and no one else is observing us. I trust that you and I live in the fear of God. We're to live in the fear of the Lord all the day long. And he continues to exhort them, Now I beseech thee, lady, church, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which is from the beginning, that we love one another. Again, this is the same message that he repeated from 1 John. And we ought to remember that every day to love one another, to be willing to forgive one another, to always have that heart full of passion for each other. Because when, when people see each other over and over and over again, the only thing that is going to keep us from, from becoming uh, stale and unconcerned is fresh love from the throne of grace. Loving one another. Not slandering each other, not gossiping about each other, not uh, complaining about one another. We all have our bad days. We all have our idiosyncrasies. We all at times can offend one another. But we need to be willing and ready to forgive one another and to be praying every day, forgive me my debts as I forgive those who are indebted to me. I trust that when we speak about each other in our homes, that we speak well of one another, that we speak to the Lord about one another, and that we don't allow others to be the brunt of our gossip or slander. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Remember Leviticus 19. That was one of our memory sections years ago. But thou shalt love one another. And this is love. That we walk after His commandments. See, love has boundaries. Love is not boundless. It has boundaries. Spouses love one another in a certain way. Brothers and sisters and so on. But John is saying, he reminds us that the the commandments of God are our boundaries, our fence posts, our fence lines for true Christian love. And he's saying this is the commandment. That is to love one another according to God's Word. That as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in. And he just keeps repeating the same thing for emphasis. Don't stray from having a passion for one another. And that God's Word would be your focus. Your direction of your passion. And the second sec- or the third section is the caution. And just like he cautioned about heretics in 1 John. He says, There are many deceivers that have entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Remember in 1 John he said, 
that those who are born of God believe that Jesus came in the flesh. Those who are not born of God but are deceivers and being deceived are those that do not believe that God was manifest in the flesh. In other words, the incarnation of the Son of God. That's the point here. And he's saying, this is one who deceives. It's a religious teacher. And he's from the devil. He's an antichrist. And you remember he said earlier in his first epistle, there are many antichrists that have come into the world. Now we may not have that particular problem. Maybe you don't meet very often professing Christians or teachers that deny that God became a man, but they deny that the man was God. We have many cultists like the Jehovah Witnesses that teach that. And so John's dealing with one particular heresy, but this really is indicative of the fact that we're going to deal with heretics and heresies until uh, until we're, we're taken home. And Paul said that these heresies must emerge in the church that the truth might be well known and... and uh, discerned away from that heresy. And he's saying, if, if you, if you uh, court these heretics and you allow them in the church, he doesn't say here, what, 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 like he said in other places, it's going to corrupt you, which is true, or corrupt the church and really, really weaken the church. That's true. But no, notice what he says here. He looks even further ahead. He says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. He's saying, you're not going to lose your Christianity, you're not going to lose your salvation, but you're going to lose your reward. If you dabble with these false teachers and false teaching and you respect them and keep them in the church knowing that they're deceivers, that you're... You, you, you put a hole in your bag of, 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 of rewards. The money's falling out. Like one of the prophets said, that you've got, a, you've got a bag full of money with holes. And as you're walking down the road, you know, you're, you're, the, the money's falling out. And every day you live, and you live in, in this way, courting and condoning and, and not rebuking false teachers and false teaching. Well, your rewards are slipping out of your bag. Now, how does that unpack? How does that? I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Have you ever had a bag with a hole in it and things began to fall out? Well, spiritually, you can have a bag that's full of rewards in the future. The Bible teaches that Christians as well as non-Christians, gather rewards. Gold, silver, and precious stones for believers. Wood, hay, and stubble. The lost, lost are gathering rewards in order for them to be given a degree of punishment. Where believers are gathering rewards in order to have degrees of blessing. I trust that you and I will realize the seriousness of not losing out as we get toward the end of our lives. You think of people that didn't end well, like Solomon, like Lot. It's very important for you and, and, and I 
not only to begin and to continue well, but to end well. Pray that we will not dishonor the Lord as we come to the end of our lives. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. You see, there's one major doctrine here, Christology. It's indicative that there are, there are many doctrines in the Bible. The doctrine of Christ here, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of, of last things, and so on. So you can see here that there's particular what we might call confessions of faith in the Bible. There are, there's, there's theology taught in the Bible. Patterns of doctrines. Paul talked about, talks about this to Timothy, that you, you've, 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 you're holding to a form of doctrine that's been taught to you. And he's saying that there are those that transgress and abide not in the doctrine of Christ. He said, don't think that because they profess to know God, that they're believers. If they do not know Christ and they disbelieve doctrines of Christ taught in the Bible, they don't know God. And he dealt with this again in 1 John. If you don't have Christ, you don't have the Father. If you have Christ, you have the Father also. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, including His incarnation, His deity, His resurrection from the dead, His ascension, His coming, Second coming. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. What a comfort that is. It's both or none. So what happens if someone comes into the church who, who has faulty Christology and seeks to teach it? If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. Neither bid him God speak. What is it saying? That we're not even to show, it sounds unkind to the world, we're not even to show common courtesy to, to those who are seeking to teach false doctrine. Not only to beware of losing our rewards, but to beware of, of encouraging False teachers. Someone in our church had a cultist come to their neighborhood and went door to door before the cultist and said, I want you to know that the people are trying to come to your door. Do not believe that Jesus is God. And it wasn't long before the cultist left the neighborhood. But this is saying that the treatment of heretics and cultists is that even basic hospitality is to be refused. How else do you interpret this? Receive Him not into your house. Certainly to come in and I'll, I'll listen to your doctrine, you listen to mine. So often we find that today in debates that both sides are equally respected. We ought never to give the impression Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Now, what does that mean? Literally, it says, don't say to him, rejoice. In other words, don't say to him, may God bless you as they leave. First of all, they're not to come into your home and to be treated with basic hospitality. 
And you certainly, we certainly are not to confuse others by bidding them Godspeed. We would say, Godspeed you on your way, I think is the idea. But literally it reads that we are not to say to them, Rejoice, or may God be with you. But we are to say that God is not with you. You're a deceiver and an antichrist and you're in danger of hellfire. We need to be blunt and we need to tell them that they need to flee from the wrath to come. So John doesn't beat around the bush, does he? Because he says, if we bid them Godspeed, we're partaker of their evil deeds. And we don't want to be partners with the devil. So that was a pretty sharp epistle. Basically, it's over. He he felt it was so serious that he couldn't wait till it couldn't wait till he arrived. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. And he rounds it out again with the fact that he's rejoicing that they're walking in the truth, but he wants to know that they need to continue to do so. And walking in the truth is not simply that you're concerned about your walk, but the walks of others in your church, and also that you're dealing with the walk of heretics and and, uh, cultists, and you're rebuking them in their walk, and you're showing that it's contrary to the path of righteousness that God has promised to lead us in. And then he seems to indicate another church, the children of thy elect sister greet thee. I don't know if it was a, another church across town or another church nearby, but I think we would interpret, if we're interpreting the elder and the elect lady and her children, verse 1, as a church, then we would interpret verse 13, the children of thy elect sister, as another church. And we're sister congregations in the kingdom of God. So he must have been at the second church sending this letter to the one that's received Second John. Amen, may it be so. Well, it's, it was brief, but so was the epistle. And our take-home message is that, that you and I are to walk in the truth according to Scripture, the objective doctrines of God's Word. And we're to do so with true love for each other, not as stoic Christians with hard hearts. And that we are to be very wary of false teachers. We are to sniff them out and warn one another about their teaching and warn them that there's no hope for them if they remain in the path of unrighteousness. Well, I I trust that that we rejoice the Lord's heart every day. And, And elderly and experienced believers who hear that this church is seeking to walk in the truth. I hope that we've rejoiced many hearts over the years of God's people. And I trust that we're rejoicing God's heart. We're not perfect. We want to be. We confess our sins, but we have tried to walk in the truth, to preach the truth, to preach against error. And there have been dangerous times. Like when Harold Camping came on the scene many years ago and sought to upset the people of God and, and uh, to teach God's people not to 
take communion or to be baptized. Or, and he labeled all churches as, as false churches who did not follow his path. That was a very sh- difficult time as many of his followers infiltrated the true churches of Jesus Christ. But that won't be the last heretic and the last heresy and the last cultist that threatens the people of God. Let us stay close to the Lord and stay close to His Word with a heart, with hearts full of His love.